Hello everyone, this is Dr. Michael Wald and thank you for tuning in today to listen to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald and I am the original blood detective. That's a term for those of you who are new to the show that was uh, given to me by a patient's uh, husband who was grateful for my very quick diagnosis of a health issue of hers that took many years. And since being nicknamed the blood detective, I've taken that term on as sort of a badge of honor that drives me to find answers for people when they may not have been successful seeing many other practitioners. My hopes during my various radio show topics is that you, the listener, will become your own personal blood detective in the sense that you take on a more proactive role in your health care. I've found through the last 26 or so years of my clinical experience that it's those people who are proactive that do their research, but that are open to conversation with qualified healthcare providers do far better in all areas of health improvements than those that don't. Of course, there's no guarantee that if you know a lot, you'll do better, but let's face it, it'll improve your chances. Now, Today's topic is a, a fairly controversial one because it covers cancer and nutrition. And for some reason, there's a stigma in this area. I suspect there's many political underpinnings to why nutritionists do not seem to manage uh, those with cancer or shy away from even talking about it. But as a highly qualified, uh, board-certified nutritionist, I am not only allowed to discuss the role or potential role of nutrition, and that also includes vitamins, minerals, herbs, and other nutritional supplements in the prevention and treatment of cancer, whether you're undergoing uh, chemotherapy and or radiation or surgery, or whether you've decided to use natural approaches instead of or in, uh, in a, as an adjunctive to your traditional care, Healthcare providers qualified to discuss cancer, like myself, and the role that nutrition may have, will do it from what's known as an evidence base. There's a lot out there in natural medicine in the area of cancer care that is utterly ridiculous. Uh, for example, you're not going to cure your cancer drinking Essiac tea or any sort of herbal tea. Uh, not that there, there may be certain herbs in the teas that have uh, anti-cancer potential, but my point here with this one example is that whether it's a vitamin supplement or an herb, and regardless of what you've heard about these miracle cures with cancer, I've investigated many of them, and I can tell you that those individuals who believe that taking a couple of natural pills uh, will cure their cancer will not. Now, during today's conversation, I will talk more about that. You can use nutrition to help improve the effects of your cancer care by way of reducing the effects of radiation or protecting healthy cells that are not distinguished by chemotherapy from cancer cells. And as some of you know who have had cancer in the past or undergoing this now, many of your oncologists are simply um, unaware of the, uh, the tremendous potential that 
properly applied nutrition can have for increasing lifespan and certainly reducing risk of infection and malnutrition. The latter two, infection and malnutrition, are actually considered the most common causes of death in cancer patients. And to complete the thought I started earlier on the use of, let's say, teas and various supplements, it is important that the correct dose of the natural product match your needs. And one must consider what are known as drug-nutrient interactions. There are both positive drug-nutrient interactions and there are negative drug-nutrient interactions, meaning that nutrition can enhance the effects of, let's say, chemotherapy or radiation, or the wrong nutrition in context with the wrong chemotherapy, for example, or a particular type of chemotherapy, I should say, could have a very negative impact on, the, on your outcome or the effects of the chemotherapy. So first of all, the information that I'll be talking about today, it's for your education. It's not meant for you to take that information and, and run out and avoid all traditional cancer care. That's entirely up to you. What I hope to accomplish today in a very short period of time is to give you more than just basic information uh, for you to have an intelligent conversation with your oncologist or your nutritionist who may or may not be uh, up to par uh, or uh, at the level that they really should or could be regarding the role of nutrition. So. Questions like, why are some doctors opposed to nutritional and natural approaches to cancer? I'll be discussing those. Should you take antioxidants, for example, if you're receiving radiation or chemotherapy? What's the role of vitamin C, for example, and other nutrients? Many, many nutrients I'll discuss today in cancer care. What is this concept of nutritional synergism? See, this concept is the single most important one for the individual with cancer who has decided to use nutrition. I said earlier that if one expects that some dilute tea or a pint or a pot of tea a day or even three pots or that multiple uh, juicing uh, efforts throughout the course of the day or taking a handful of nutrients will make the difference, you might be missing the point. Nutritional synergism essentially means that instead of using very, very high doses of various natural therapies, lower doses of natural therapies might be used to affect, to have an effect in the body as if they were larger doses when combined properly with many other synergists. And a synergist simply is a various nutrient, for example, that works well with another one so that when you put them together, the one plus one addition actually might equal three, four, five, or six due to the enhanced effects. Now, this point goes to how one might reach an anti-cancer potential of a nutrient. You see, in the media, on certain radio shows and, uh, and magazines, for example, when they talk about the use, let's say, of turmeric or curcumin in cancer care, you might hear that and run out and get curcumin. It's probably not going to hurt you, but if you do not take the appropriate dose that reaches a certain saturation in the blood and is maintained in the blood, you're not going to affect your cancer. So let's move on with the concepts today and talk more about all of this. And depending on how much I get through today, 
because you know I have my email open right now and I'm getting all kinds of questions uh, from uh, current patients and, and from those that have listened to prior shows that were aware of today's topic. So I might uh, respond to some of those. Uh, we might make this a two-part series. So the first question is, why are some doctors opposed to nutritional and natural approaches to cancer in the first place? Well, number one, there's just a lack of, of interest, either personal interest or professional interest. These practitioners, although well-intentioned, might be uh, in fear of ridicule from their colleagues and might actually lose their job if they decided to use nutrition in their practice. There is a lack of education in medical schools on just basic nutrition, being less than about 30 hours in the average medical school education, let alone there's no proper focused study on the use of nutrition specifically in cancer care. You know, medicine is a very complex area of study and it's divided into different types of specialists like oncologists for example and the reason that that is done that way is first of all like I said medicine's hard and individuals that focus on a particular area might be very very good at it as opposed to diluting their focus on a variety of other areas my point in mentioning this is that nutrition is an entirely different specialty so in my opinion it is best for a very well qualified and educated nutritional provider to manage the cancer care in context and in communication with your oncologist. Now, for those of you thinking, listen, I don't have cancer. Well, the concepts I'll be discussing here really do apply to every single other area of nutritional care, regardless of the health problem. Now, getting back to this question of why many physicians, traditionally trained allopathic doctors, are against nutrition. Again, one, I think it mostly is lack of education. They just don't know. They, of course, have a, genu a, a genuine concern for their patients, but if I were ignorant in an area and a patient said to me, listen, I want to use nutrition to, to manage my cancer, and I did not know anything about nutrition, I will certainly say, I don't think you should do that. But I think that it takes a different kind of practitioner to say, well, you know, I don't know, but let me really look into this. Let's segue into a study that was in the uh, a Journal of Alternative Therapeutics of Health and Medicine. The conclusion of this study First of all, the study was on antioxidants and other nutrients and whether or not they interfere with chemotherapy or radiation. And can they kill uh, cancer cells and therefore increase survival? The conclusion of the study was the following. Quote, since the 1970s, 280 peer-reviewed in vitro and in vivo studies, including 50 human studies involving 8,521 patients, 5,081 of whom were given nutrients, have consistently shown that non-prescription antioxidants and other nutrients do not interfere with therapeutic modalities for cancer. Furthermore, they, meaning the antioxidants, enhance the killing of therapeutic modalities of cancer, decrease their side effects, and protect normal tissues. In 15 human studies, 3,738 patients took non-prescription antioxidants and other nutrients, and they actually had increased survival. Now, I will admit that not every study on nutrition and its role in enhancing the standard of care in oncology, meaning radiation and chemotherapy, have shown positive results. This is why you need to see a qualified nutritional practitioner who knows and can consider you in context uh, with all of this and whether or not these various studies apply to you. In the journal Medical hypothesis, it was discussed that antioxidants, number one, exert anti-thrombotic effects, meaning cancer tends to be associated with an increased thickness of blood, thrombotic tendencies, a sludginess, so to speak. So various cancers are associated with these disorders of what is known as inappropriate platelet aggregation and many other diseases as well, like myocardial infarctions or heart attacks, strokes, uh, pre uh, condition known as preeclampsia, uh, diabetes, and cancer 
can be affected by using the appropriate antioxidants. In fact, this study in medical hypothesis said that supplementing with antioxidants impede tumor dissemination, meaning spread. You know, as cancer cells spread throughout the body, they tend to get stuck in areas. And then when another sticky cell, cancer cell comes by, it might stick to that cell. And then another one comes by and it sticks to that. If you can unstick these cells, that impedes tumor dissemination. Furthermore, these antioxidants exert anti-cancer, improve the immune system by acting as immunostimulants and anti-metastatic effects, meaning antioxidants, when used correctly, can reduce the spread of cancer. And in fact, nutritional antioxidants could act to inhibit neoplasia or cancer at each stage of its development. So antioxidants are important in all stages of cancer, but certain other nutrients are more or less important at the beginning stages or in the intermediate stages or once it's spread. So we need to get away from the concept of thinking of nutrients for cancer in general, but how nutrients can be properly applied to individuals at different stages of their cancer. Therapeutics said that although further studies are needed, the preponderance of evidence supports a provisional conclusion that dietary antioxidants do not conflict with the use of radiotherapy and the treatment of a wide variety of cancers and may significantly mitigate the adverse effects of that treatment. So patients will see me and say, my doctor said to get off all of the nutrients, particularly the antioxidants. And I do understand that perspective because if a certain cancer therapy like radiation or chemotherapy uh, act as oxidants, why would you use an antioxidant if you've chosen that therapy? Well, the reasoning on the surface is correct, ex except it's been largely disproven. Now, having said all this, and I'll be saying quite a lot more today, I always advise my patients to speak with their oncologists and to encourage them to speak with me or whatever nutritional practitioner that you're working with so that everyone's on the same page. Because once practitioners are educating one another, you are the one that benefits. And again, this does not only apply to cancer, it applies to every other aspect of health. And it's very important to keep this communication going because according to the Journal of the American College of Nutrition, the majority of cancer patients do combine some form of complementary and alternative therapy with conventional therapies. And this article in the uh, Journal of the American College of Nutrition also concluded that, quote, antioxidants when added adjunctively to first-line chemotherapy may improve the efficacy of chemotherapy. That is a huge statement. Now you might be thinking, well, what antioxidants? Well, as a blood detective, I do various tests of oxidant and antioxidant status. And I'm gonna throw a little bit of a, a curveball at you here. The term antioxidant is really a misnomer. You might take a supplement that's advertised as an antioxidant and it might act as an oxidant in your body given your general state of health and nutrition and, and general physiology. That's why the appropriate testing is important. I'm gonna throw out some interesting conclusions of various studies that demonstrate that the proper application of nutrition in cancer care is absolutely worth uh, using. For example, an article in the Journal of Cellular Biochemistry said regarding metastasis, which is spread of cancer, cancer which is also the main cause of death uh, for cancer patients. In this study, they injected what they call intraperitoneally administration. They injected into the stomach area high concentrations of ascorbic acid, vitamin C, and it was shown to inhibit tumor establishment and increase survival of the particular type of sarcoma cell 
cells that they were studying. Another article in the Journal of uh, Pancreatology, let me say that word again, Pancreatology, who, who makes the names of these journals up? I don't know. Uh, showed that antioxidant vitamins are known to inhibit metastasis overall. They evaluated the impact of vitamin A, known as retinol, vitamin C, which is ascorbic acid, and vitamin E, which is alpha-tocopherol, on liver metastasis. And they found that retinol and vitamin E decrease the incidence of metastasis to a significant, a clinically significant extent. The number and the size of liver metastasis lesions were significantly reduced, particularly by the retinol, the vitamin A. Now, when one takes vitamin A, you need to be monitored. Don't just take extra vitamin A because like vitamin D, these are fat-soluble nutrients and they can create toxicity. But when used appropriately and when you are under the care of a qualified nutritional healthcare provider, one that can draw laboratory work, you'll be fine. In another journal known as uh, Cancer Treatment Review, they observed several adverse effects or discussed the adverse effects of radiotherapy, that's radiation, and chemotherapy in cancer patients, and they know that these are linked to oxidative processes in the human body. Selenium supplementation they, they uh, wrote about may protect healthy tissues and reduce the side effects of treatment. But selenium has a very tight range of toxicity, which is why in many of the studies that showed that selenium exerts an anti-cancer effect, the amount of selenium used would be toxic it might even kill human beings. That's where nutritional synergism comes in, where if we combine selenium with several other nutritional synergists, you can effectively lower the doses needed of the selenium so that it's not toxic, but it acts as if it's a much higher dose because of its intelligent combinations. So let me repeat the last statement that I had mentioned. Selenium supplementation may protect healthy tissues and reduce the side effects of treatment. Remember, chemotherapy is not specific for cancer cells. It will kill healthy cells. So we just hope that the, the patient survives in spite of that toxic effect. There are a lot of reasons to explain why a person's healthy cells are protected with antioxidants such as selenium. For example, we know that cancer cells are very low or absolutely void. They have no catalase enzyme. Normal cells have catalase. If you expose both of these cells to high levels of selenium or vitamin C, for example, the cancer cells that do not have catalase cannot protect themselves and they oxidize and they generally disintegrate in a sense. Not all the cells, but a good number of them. The healthy tissue with a good amount of catalase is much more resistive to the chemotherapy. So that is the convenient way of how, or at least one of the ways in which natural therapies can target cancer cells sparing healthy cells. Now let's also face another fact. Chemotherapy radiation do not work on every person. And depending on the cancer you're speaking about and the statistics you look at, you might even conclude that they're a miserable failure overall. Now having said that, I'm not saying a person should not necessarily consider chemotherapy or radiation. You need to do your homework. The same can be said in the nutritional area. Now, first of all, nutrients are far more safe. They have a far better safety record, and it's much harder to get toxic effects from nutrients than it is from chemotherapy or radiation. But nutrition does not cure everything either. That is why, for many people, the combination of traditional allopathic treatments and nutritional therapies might be the best way to go. So let's talk about now some other details about the essential role of nutrition for enhancing the effects of chemotherapy and reducing the side effects. So if you're in a situation where you've decided to use chemotherapy, how can you also use nutrition to improve the chances of your not just surviving, but surviving well? And let's particularly focus on the protective action of vitamin C. Now, I should say that if you are going to run out there and just take vitamin 
vitamin C or increase your level of vitamin C that you're taking now and expect an anti-cancer effect, you probably have another thing coming because most store-bought nutrients are worthless uh, according to the New York State Attorney General's office about, I think it was last year, where I, I also spoke about this in my show, Vitamin Lies, where they assayed a variety of nutrients on the market, including vitamin C, and found out that most of the vitamin C available, uh, it does not have um, what is said is on the label. It might not even have any vitamin C in it at all. And now some of you are thinking, no, no, I use a very reliable company. Well, how do you know it's reliable? because of what you've heard, because of what you've told, because of what the website has said, that will not cut it. You need to discuss the nutrients you plan on taking with a trained nutritional professional and get their opinion. But their opinion should always include their research regarding what's known as a full disclosure label on nutrients and whether or not what is said to be on the label is is there. And if the quality of the nutrients in that product are up to par, because this is your life after all. Now we know, according to some studies, that when you do use the appropriate type and amount of vitamin C, that vitamin C protects against DNA damage or what's known as the DNA damaging effects of anti-tumor drugs. And according to studies too, vitamin C should and can be considered a potential protective agent against the side effects of many of these drugs. How much should you take? Well, I measure a blood level of vitamin C as the blood detective. I also measure a urinary, the urinary output of vitamin C too, because you need all of your cells saturated. And if you saturate all your cells, you should have a spillover vitamin C into the urine. I also do a test to check in the urine if that vitamin C is the oxidized form, what's known as dehydroascorbic acid, and how much of it is the non-oxidized form. The ratio of the two is very important for ongoing vitamin C balance. Now again, for those of you out there interested in intravenous vitamin C, that is definitely something that I feel every oncologist should be considering. There are more than enough uh, double-blind uh, placebo-controlled studies to demonstrate the safety of intravenous vitamin C. Now, intravenous vitamin C, by the way, acts as an oxidant. It does not act as an antioxidant. You've heard it here first, folks. Very important you realize this. So oxidation, although it's been made to sound like it's all bad, is not. I wish we could discuss more about this, but I don't have time for more than just a mention of that, at least not in this show. I was just sent a question through the email regarding tamoxifen, and this woman would like to know if she could not take the tamoxifen or if nutrition could somehow help her the tamoxifen work better. And there was a study which looked at the therapeutic potential of vitamin B2, which is riboflavin, and niacin, which is B3, and ascorbic acid, and how they affect uh, endometrial carcinoma in those with uh, that have been uh, asked to take tamoxifen. And the study said that the curative potential of B2 and B3 and ascorbic acid against tamoxifen-mediated endometrial carcinoma has been established. So let me, let me say that in English. First of all, we know that tamoxifen can increase endometrial cancer. But for women who have elected or who have been recommended to take tamoxifen to prevent the recurrence of breast cancer or to avoid new breast cancer, that the combination of B2, B3, and vitamin C has been shown to reduce tamoxifen-induced endometrial carcinoma. Said another way, and I'm quoting, our results suggest that riboflavin, niacin, and vitamin C, or ascorbic acid, have potential combination therapy against tamoxifen-mediated or tamoxifen-caused secondary endometrial cancer. And this was a rat study. So that is an amazing thing. I have actually never come across a patient who has been recommended tamoxifen and also to take additional amounts of B2, B3, and vitamin C. So as I said earlier, the vitamin C dose needs to be figured out for you with antioxidant and oxidant tests and vitamin C levels in both the blood and the urine, but also levels of B2 and B3, and I always use the active forms of B2. In another journal known as BMC Genomics, they talked about evidence uncovered for 
what they call anti-angiogenic pathways and induction of transcripts for protection from oxidative stress. You might have to listen to this a few times, but let me summarize what they were talking about in this study about vitamin D and this evidence. Basically, the data suggested that vitamin D, rather than having just a single strong anti-cancer effect, that vitamin D orchestrates a constellation of changes, what they called a pattern of changes, particularly with prostate cancer cells that limit or slow carcinogenesis or cancer. And we know through synergism that if we take active D3 or a prescription form of activated vitamin D3 known as 1,25-dihydroxyvitamin D, and if you, you combine that with retinoic acid and vitamin E and curcumin and resveratrol, you get better and better and better anti-cancer effects without creating or causing potential toxicity or damage to the patient by using extremely high levels of these nutrients. And let me say a quick word about diet and uh, cancer care. The American Journal of Clinical Nutrition said that at least in the in the area of gastric adenocarcinoma that if, if, if patients adhere to a relative Mediterranean diet that this change in eating pattern is associated with significant reduction in the risk of gastric carcinoma in the first place. If it's true in gastric carcinoma, I suspect it's true in many other cancers. But again, as a blood detective, I do detailed laboratory work and, and a historical evaluation of each person to figure out maybe they need a partly Mediterranean diet mixed with a gluten-free approach and or a much higher omega-3 fatty acid content. So there is no ideal diet in my opinion. But if one were to adapt one, it probably should be a meat-free diet that is has a strong emphasis on the Mediterranean concepts. And I'd like to point out to those of you out there with different types of cancers that I have not yet mentioned that there are some underlying fundamental mechanisms of cancer formation like immune issues and toxicity, for example, and there's many others. And a lot of the nutrition that I'm prescribing or discussing has been studied to work on these underlying mechanisms. So for example, things that tend to work on prostate cancer generally work on breast cancer, etc. For example, we know that the phytonutrients and antioxidants in organic uh, cultivated strawberries showed very strong anti-cancer effects in those with colon cancer and breast cancer cells. And the person would have to eat quite a lot of these strawberries to get these sorts of effects. Remember, you have to get to a certain concentration of the desired nutrition in the blood for it to matter. That's why I've put together superfoods, which are concentrates of dehydrated products. And I'll add those to a healthy diet, uh, whatever I determine that to be for a particular individual. And concentrated food products have tens of thousands of protective antioxidants and phytonutrients and immune modulators. And unless there's some intelligent reason not to have these, these are things that should be considered for everyone, in my opinion, with cancer, who want to prevent cancer, or who have chosen to uh, expose themselves to radiation or uh, chemotherapy. Another example of this nutritional synergism concept is by combining, and this was in the uh, British Journal of Cancer, by the way, combining vitamin K3, a form known as VK3, and ascorbic acid. And they showed that that combination together was much more effective than either one of them, exhibiting anti-cancer synergistic effects by helping the body produce 
produce more H2O2, that's hydrogen peroxide. Some of you out there might be familiar with hydrogen peroxide. It's in, you know, in, in many people's homes, it's in that brown plastic bottle. You pour it on wounds and it kind of bubbles up. And many alternative healthcare providers will provide that to patients in intravenous form. I personally prefer to have the body produce its own hydrogen peroxide. It's far less um, risky that way. But hydrogen peroxide is enhanced or at least it was enhanced in this particular uh, study reported in the British uh, Journal of Cancer with the combination of vitamin K3 and ascorbic acid. It caused enhanced cell death. And the term that oncologists use for cell death is apoptosis. Another study entitled Melatonin and Breast Cancer, Cancer, Cellular Mechanisms, Clinical Studies, and Future Perspectives showed that melatonin works through receptors. Those are areas on cells that take in the melatonin and also what are known as distinct uh, secondary pathways. And, and, and through those mechanisms reduced the proliferation of cancer cells or the growth of cancer cells and also help those abnormal cancer cells become more normal. That's called inducing differentiation. That means taking an abnormal cancer cell and making it look like it was originally a normal cell. So melatonin can, has the potential of doing that. And the dose of melatonin, as well as many nutrients in diet, should be based, in my opinion, on lean body mass testing. It's a simple procedure which can distinguish how much muscle or lean body mass is on the body, uh, uh, fat and water, and then you make sure you personalize the dose of nutrients based on that, blood levels, history, and the studies and the particular chemotherapy and or radiation that you or someone you love might be considering. They also know that melatonin can, and I'm quoting, can modulate estrogen-dependent pathways and also reduce free radical formation and prevent mutation and cellular toxicity. I've paraphrased a little bit at the end. So melatonin, very, very important. Now I should mention that according to my research, an average of about 26 different supplements. This is a key point, everyone. An average of about 26 key nutritional compounds are required to potentiate that synergism I'm talking about so that an individual has any hope of increasing the effects of nutrients given the limits of oral absorption of these various nutrients. So. The long and short of it is, you might be taking a lot of nutrients, but you need to take them in certain combinations specific to your situation. Let me respond to another question that I received regarding cisplatin uh, and how it can create uh, liver damage. But this is also true of many cancers and important for those of us who want to prevent cancer that when N-acetylcysteine is used, also known as NAC, that's a nutrient that is available in stores, but again, you must be careful of quality control. I do um, provide NAC to many of my patients that it protects against cisplatin-induced nephrotoxicity. That means kidney damage. The blood concentrations of NAC need to be particularly high. And one particular study seemed to suggest that about 1,200 milligrams per kilogram of body weight orally is in the, in the range for many individuals. But again, you're not, you personally are not many individuals. You, you are you. So individualized testing can help figure this out. And you know, what is so striking to me is that some oncologists are not willing to consider nutrition even in, in cancers like uh, mesothelioma 
you know, a form of lung cancer, which is just, uh, just has horrible statistics in terms of survival. We know that high doses of ascorbic acid induce cell death of all of the mesothelioma cell lines in a dose-dependent manner, meaning there's different types of uh, mesothelioma, and uh, the higher uh, the vitamin C level, the better its, its uh, cancer cell killing effects. And whether it's vitamin C or whether it's NAC or whether it's melatonin or antioxidants, these nutrients are important for a variety of cellular functions. So for all of us, each of these supplements I've mentioned so far should be considered by each individual unless you're on some medication or, you, or there's another good reason why you shouldn't take these nutrients for prevention of cancer as well. Someone just sent me an email regarding re-explaining about the high doses of vitamin C and how they're anti-cancer. I'll mention an article in Cellular Molecular Biochemistry which said that higher concentrations of vitamin C induce cell death, that's known as apoptotic cell death, in various tumor lines including oral squamous cell carcinoma, even salivary gland tumor cell lines. And it works in those cancers by producing a pro-oxidant effect, not an antioxidant effect. I think that the nutrients I just mentioned, uh, and probably some others, are very important for all of us for uh, uh, at, least, at least one particular reason. We're exposed to so much radiation. We're exposed to natural radiation right now, sitting wherever you are, or standing or walking around. And then we might get a little radiation at the dentist's office. We'll get a, a little radiation when we, we board an airplane. And of course, there's quite a lot of radiation that we accumulate uh, just through medical procedures over our lifetime. And some of the, the more, uh, well, the last statistics I can remember reading about the potential for medical radiation to add to the total cancer incidence is, I think, 8 to 10%. That may not sound a lot, but there's, again, many other sources of radiation. And if, of course, we'd want to try to avoid as much of this radiation whenever possible, one of the things we can do is help improve our resiliency to repair against radiation exposure. And according to yet another uh, article entitled Cancer Risk from Diagnostic Radiology uh, in a Deliberate Self-Harm Patient, it's an odd title, what was said is that healthcare providers, in particular uh, psychiatrists and emergency uh, department physicians, should consider the cumulative risks of radiologic procedures when assessing and treating patients. But in my experience, there's, there's virtually no thought uh, given to that. Because if there were, then almost anyone would be properly managed with nutrition, which has the potential to offset the cumulative effects of radiation. Let's say, let's say a little bit more about radiation. First of all, about 15% of ionizing radiation, that's like from a regular x-ray or a CT scan. MRIs, by the way, are non-irradiating. They do not emit radiation, but x-rays and CT scans, PET scans, they do. So about 15% of ionizing radiation exposure to the general public comes from artificial sources, and almost all of that exposure is due to medical radiation, largely from diagnostic procedures like those I've just mentioned. And radiotherapy also has increased so that today about 40% of cancer patients receive some type of treatment with radiation. And here's something very important that almost no one knows that I see who has received or is receiving radiation. And remember, this applies to all of us because we're all receiving radiation. Following high-dose radiation therapy for malignant diseases, elevated risks of a variety of radiation-related secondary cancers has been observed. 
particularly uh, for childhood cancer. But there's always what's known as balancing what's, uh, what's referred to in medicine as the risk-benefit ratio when deciding on procedures and practices. So again, I'm not suggesting you should run away from radiation uh, or medical procedures that involve the use of radiation. But we need to consider your cumulative exposure and take measures that are essentially non-toxic or run a very low risk of harm, such as nutrition. So you can, in a sense, have your cake and eat it too. Except this cake is loaded with nutrition. I should mention, though, on another note, because of a question that just came in, that there is you know, uh, evidence but also controversy regarding the, uh, the use of mammography or the overuse of mammography because uh, mammography does emit radiation. I like to advise my patients to dose up with the appropriate nutrition that we determine is best for them prior to getting mammography or an x-ray or a CT scan. According to an article entitled Mammography Oncogenicity at Low Doses, in other words, how mammography can cause cancer, that mammography is and does cause mutational damage and that according to more recent studies, that using MRI or magnetic resonance imaging is more sensitive than mammography in detecting invasive breast cancer, particularly in women with a genetic sensitivity. And since an increase in the risk associated with mammographic screening can blur the justification of exposure for this you know, high-risk subgroup, again, that subgroup is women with a genetic sensitivity, that other forms of screening, such as MRI or sonogram, may be appropriate and take the place of mammography. And some of you are thinking of thermography. Well, that has issues as well, but unfortunately, we don't have time to discuss those today. And just to complete the concept of mammography and screening, you know, women aged 50 to 69 years without evidence of breast cancer are generally invited to have mammographic screening every two years. And according to a particular study, uh, the question was raised whether breast cancer screening by means of mammography is, uh, you know, from the point of view of radiation, uh, we'll call it hygiene, justify, is justified also for women under 50 years of age. Now, with regard to both, the benefit and the radiation risk, both of those, it appears not to be justified routine screening to expose women from the age of 40 years to any additional radiation associated with mammographic screening. Again, a very controversial area. And for liability purposes, I have to say that you must listen to your doctor's recommendations in terms of uh, frequency of screening and the type of screening. Let's switch gears a little bit. Although I don't have time in a short show like this to review all the reasons why certain uh, allopathic physicians um, uh, don't seem to uh, prescribe or are for nutrition during cancer care, I will point out that it may simply be a matter of them not knowing what the research is showing. For example, I had a patient uh, just last week that had visited Sloan Kettering, and of course have patients that have visited all of the top traditional allopathic uh, facilities for uh, their cancer care, and in none of them is there any real nutrition plan. 
the person might be referred to the dietitian for a couple of visits, but there is no, uh, there's no cutting edge nutrition and a lot of potential nutritional products are, are left out. And the patient is confused and they say, well, how can this be? They're the tops here, they're the top there. Well, that is really a problem with just logic and the way we think. Just because a traditional facility may be expert in uh, the use of chemotherapy or focused radiation or surgical procedures in cancer or for anything else, it does not mean at all that they would, that that expertise and knowledge and advancement would apply to the area of nutrition. This is a very important concept, concept and it is one of, of just faulty logic. So having said that, it is up to you to seek out practitioners who are expert in the areas that you need. And in short, and I do believe I discussed this in a prior show, I think the show Misunderstandings That Could Kill You, where I describe a bit about the credentials of nutritionists. Experience is important and also credentials. Uh, does that practitioner have a PhD in nutrition or do they have a master's degree in nutrition? Do they have the basics of nutrition knowledge in the form of, let's say, a dietitian uh, certified dietitian nutritionist certification? Are they certified nutritional specialists? Are they certified clinical nutritionists? There are many, many different levels of practitioners. I have chosen to receive all of those credentials in addition to uh, graduating from medical school and graduating uh, uh, chiropractic uh, college because I feel all of these areas add into the mix of knowledge that I can then uh, afford to my patients. Now I'd like to discuss a few of the key nutrients because I mentioned earlier in the show that according to at least my research there are a number of nutrients that are important for fundamental synergism that barring any strong reason that you should not consider these either for uh, for prevention of cancer or during the, the treatment of cancer whether or not it's combined with chemotherapy radiation or surgery uh, that th these are the these are the ones first i just want to mention that among the different targets of natural approaches and many of the standard uh, oncological treatments uh, like chemotherapy are, uh, there are certain underlying mechanisms of all cancers or most cancers that nutrition need to be focused on. Nutrition needs to help manage mutations or abnormal changes in the DNA which promote what's called proliferation or growing of abnormal cells. The nutrition needs to also be focused on cancer killing effects known as apoptosis. Now before I go further realize that vitamin C alone may not affect every mechanism I'm about to describe. Neither might melatonin or curcumin or resveratrol or omega-3 fatty acids or vitamin D or vitamin A. This is why a large combination is necessary. Now, in the area of cancer care, such a large combination of nutrients are usually needed that I tend to produce compounded either powder or capsule forms which are tailored towards the individual as much as possible rather than taking 50 different things. Although I say there's a minimum of about 26, that doesn't mean more is not better. So I mentioned 
Nutrients have to focus on mutations. Nutrition has to focus on apoptosis. Nutrition must focus on differentiating cells that have de-differentiated and become cancer cells. Nutrition needs to focus on the immune system, perhaps on what is known as anti-angiogenic activity or targeting a phenomenon among cancer cells known as cell-to-cell communication. Now, cancer cells talk to one another. Those signals might be to mutate, to de-differentiate, to lower the immune system. We don't want those signals. We want the opposite signals. We need to modify how the genes work in cells. That's called nutritional genomics. Nutrition needs to be focused on the inflammatory component of cancer, the detoxification component of cancer, the leakiness of blood vessels and lymphatic channels that, you know, picture a garden hose for a moment as a lymphatic channel or a blood vessel channel in your body. If you leave that garden hose out in the sun too long, it breaks down. It becomes more porous. And if you can imagine cancer cells in the tube, they can then leak out through that cancer uh, through that uh, that junction, that is, the, the leakiness between the cells, what's, in, what's known as the gap junctions, and they can metastatically spread throughout the rest of the body. So nutrition needs to focus on what's known as cellular adhesion, keeping those cells tight, tight together so they don't become leaky. And again, there's different nutrition for that. And there are many other underlying mechanisms that these 26 plus nutrients have been shown uh, evidence to focus on. Time and time again, I visit with people who are on some of the right nutrients, maybe even all of the right nutrients, but the doses are just wrong. There's just so much to consider, uh, and that can be done with a qualified practitioner. So for the remaining time I have in the show, I'm going to rattle off the, some of the more important nutrients, uh, but you, you need to keep in mind that depending on your unique situation, if for those of you on any chemotherapy or radiation or undergoing surgery or on other medications, uh, there may be adverse nutrient interactions and you want to shoot for the synergistic or positive interactions. Okay, so vitamin D3 in its active form works very well for modifying certain immune uh, um, mechanisms involved in cancers known as P21 and P53 genes. So vitamin D3, when it's combined with uh, genistein from soy uh, and vitamin E and specific antioxidants work very well together. One of those more important antioxidants I mentioned earlier is N-acetylcysteine because it has been demonstrated to affect P21 and P53 genes. Then the use of milk thistle or silymarin. So on my blood detective site, you can read more about these supplements because I do produce uh, silymarin and, and vitamin D3 and many of the other nutrients, NAC, vitamin A that I mentioned. Silymarin uh, is a, a hepatoprotective, meaning it protects the liver, but it's also an antioxidant outside of the liver. The use of flavonoids, which I have uh, very high doses of flavonoids, which I've uh, put in my detox powders, detox one, two, three, and four. Those are also safe for anyone to consume because they're basically dehydrated food products. And uh, then active vitamin A. I mentioned once again, I cannot overemphasize it, active vitamin D. Studies on vitamin E have used both the water-soluble form of E and the fat-soluble form of vitamin E. And we're not just looking at determining the blood levels of these nutrients to see if they're optimal. Sometimes when you're dealing with conditions like many cancers, 
You don't simply want normal blood levels. I mean, I've had patients come in and they say, well, my doctor says I don't need all these nutrients. My level of B2 and B3 and vitamin D and vitamin A, etc., are normal. Well, this isn't a normal scenario. And normalizing levels in the blood may have nothing to do with reaching the synergism that we're speaking about. This is not complicated in the, in the minds, or not too complicated in the minds of uh, a qualified health professional. So for those of you who are sending me emails here, that this is so complicated, well, that's why you don't do it on your own. You get help. You just get help. The use of digestive enzymes, uh, and my product is known as Detox Absorb. Uh, digestive enzymes uh, have been shown to uh, mitigate the inflammatory uh, aspect of a variety of health problems. And I should also mention that my blood detector products have not directly been studied in, uh, in cancer. The compounds in them may have been. So I just need to, as a disclaimer, mention that. And from an inflammatory perspective, I combine many different synergists, at least 26. Now, again, to remind you, in cancer or any healthcare problem that involves a large number of nutrients, it's always best, in my opinion, to make a custom product because if you take 26, 36, 46, 56 nutrients, but you make them in a powder form, you might only need a heaping teaspoon a couple times a day and you're done. You don't have to be standing in front of your counter uh, nauseated uh, consuming large amounts of pills. And moving along to another nutritional compound, the use of omega-3 fatty acids are very important. I'm obligated to remind everyone that if you're on blood thinners, you should not, either not take omega-3s or take them but under the supervision of a qualified healthcare provider. But omega-3 fatty acids, particularly um, the DHA component, is effective for helping to promote the entry of chemotherapy deeper into cells because if you're going to use that stuff then you want it to get in. It also helps protect healthy cells. DHA itself is an antioxidant. It helps restore or offset the uh, hardness or lack of flexibility of cells that occurs in most all disease including just human aging. Not to mention it's an anti-inflammatory, it's an anti-coagulation product. Very important, cannot be uh, underemphasized or overemphasized, I should say, but most people that I see are underdosing dramatically. I always start with a bioimpedance test or body composition test so I know someone's metabolic rate so I can dose the products as, uh, as smartly as possible. Then the use of boswellic acid or boswellia, or otherwise known as frankincense, which is an immune modulator and an anti-inflammatory. And one substance I've just briefly mentioned uh, a couple times today is resveratrol because it can act upon enzyme systems which can have favorable effects upon cancer. And uh, the flavonoids again I've mentioned, which I have in my detox one through four products, they act on at least three major enzyme systems that might benefit a number of cancers. You know, I'm not mentioning doses because you may simply defer to the dosage on the container of the, the product, which tends to be safe for most individuals. But again, consult with your healthcare provider. But your dose, if there's cancer present, might be a bit higher or maybe not, depending on whether or not you've figured out, along with the healthcare provider, the proper synergism. And no matter what the cancer one wants to avoid, or if one has cancer, they always want to avoid the possibility of metastasis. And there are five primary or so steps of metastasis where the various nutritional compounds, including most or if not all of the ones I've just mentioned, have been studied in. And the way in which a, a smart combination of these natural therapies help is that they can be very effective for 
reducing, as I mentioned, the leakiness of the blood vessels, reducing the tendency of cancer cells to pile up in different areas of the body and uh, also affect the inflammatory process. And importantly, metastasis initially involves the detachment of cells from a tumor site. So there's certain nutrients that helps that seem to help offset that. And for those with deficient immunity, there are a number of natural substances that can effectively stimulate the immune system and inhibit metastasis. So natural compounds that stimulate what's known as natural killer cell activity are extremely important. So there's a compound known as PSK, and you'll find that in various mushroom polysaccharides, and, and they act as immune stimulants, uh, meaning they'll stimulate natural killer cell activity, and that can help inhibit metastatic spread. I remember reading a very good study on uh, the, uh, of this concept in tumor-bearing uh, animals. I like to combine a variety of the Japanese mushrooms, but mushrooms alone will not do it. Vitamin C alone won't do it, etc., etc. A variety of Chinese herbs like astragalus have been studied very well to inhibit the coagulation effects by having an anti-coagulation effect in various cancers, particularly when you use them along with the right dose of bromelain or other digestive enzymes, and of course, uh, curcumin. So as you can all see, this is definitely not a boring area of nutrition, uh, and a very, um, a very serious one, one that needs to be taken quite seriously, particularly, again, if you're combining uh, chemotherapy and or radiation and natural therapies. So as uh, a, the self-proclaimed blood detective, I like to look at the blood. I like to look at other tests. I'll always want to consider uh, the findings of other practitioners. And through 26 or so years of experience, uh, provide nutrition in the safest way possible that is doable for the individual, whether we want to prevent or delay the onset of a variety of chronic degenerative diseases, whether it's heart disease, uh, such as stroke and heart attacks, or whether we're talking about autoimmune diseases and or cancers of various types, it's important to not just take nutrients haphazardly. And of course, as the blood detective, I do think it's in everyone's best interest to see practitioners that have the ability and training to analyze uh, blood work, at least to analyze that blood work for uh, its nutritional meaning. And as a final thought, this is important. One does not simply take nutrients based upon blood levels. A person might require higher levels of nutrition given their stage of cancer or health concern or lower amounts depending on the combination or those synergistic combinations that I've been speaking about. So I wanna thank you again for joining me today. My name is Dr. Michael Walt. I'm Supervisor of Nutrition at Integrated Nutrition in Mount Kisco. You can reach me if you care to see me as a patient at 914-242-8844. Please post your questions on my blog or send me an email um, at www.integratednutritionny.com. That's the website, obviously, and the email is info at integratednutritionny.com. Please join me for my next show entitled, How Nutrition Works, Live Better and Longer. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day and a happy and a healthy night.